Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The second reading. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I love stories of transformation. I think that most people do as well. Stories in which renewal and redemption take place, especially in people who we don't expect and also in situations that seem quite incongruous. It was great hearing Nathan's story today about the way he came to faith. Actually, when I called Nathan up uh, last week and asked him if he'd do the interview, uh, he laughed. He said, oh, just giving you the heads up, I don't have a very interesting story. Well, I actually think that every person's story of encountering Jesus and coming to faith is, is interesting because each of them speak about our transformation in some way. Uh, sure, there are big, you know, I used to be a gangster type stories that are, you know, draw our attention. Um, but, but underneath, I think all, even the external layers of those stories of people coming, uh, the, the, of those people coming to faith, there are similar issues of feeling that we are not all that we could be in our lives and also that we have no way in and of ourselves of actually dealing with those problems ourselves with the muck in our lives that would make any significant difference to the way we live. Therefore, we need God to transform us, but not just us, but the whole of humanity. The Bible says that when we have an encounter with Jesus and we put our faith in him, we receive a new identity. Knowing your identity and living out your identity as a child of God are foundational for following Jesus and being a witness to the good news in, to our neighbours, but also to the ends of the earth. In Mark's Gospel, we're told that before Jesus started his public ministry, God affirmed his identity as his beloved son. When Jesus was baptised by John uh, in the River Jordan, uh, a voice is heard, the voice of God is heard saying, You are my son. Whom I, love, whom I love, and you, I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit then fell on Jesus in the form of a dove. These two signs show, show us Jesus' true identity 
and were, and, were, and were revealed actually before Jesus began his earthly ministry. The Apostle Paul often talks about the identity that we receive when we put our faith in Jesus. He emphasises this because he wants to continually remind us, uh, remind us of, what we've, of who we are when we're in a relationship with Jesus. But he also wants to remind us what we were and what we've turned from. It's important to know who we are, our, our true identity as God's children, because then we can become aware of the extraordinary riches and the benefits that are ours because of our relationship with Christ, which then enable us to live in freedom, hope and joy in this life, and also enable us to go on and be witnesses to others about the extraordinary, uh, extraordinary good news that Jesus brings. Paul's own life and ministry are uh, as a result of the transformation and the new identity that God gave to him. Before, before Paul met Jesus, he was basically a religious hitman. He was doing everything he could to wipe out the followers of Jesus. Paul wasn't some sort of nerdy boffin uh, writing letters of complaint to the Jerusalem Times about the bad things that Christians were doing. He was actually an active participant in persecuting them. He was there. He was present at the stoning of Stephen. People actually laid their cloaks at his feet while they, while they pummeled Stephen's body uh, with stones until he was dead. Paul also spoke uh, threateningly and openly about his opposition to Jesus' followers, and he used all the powers that were available to him to hunt them down and then to physically haul them back to Jerusalem where they would face trial. The New Testament scholar Michael Bird says that Paul was the equivalent in his day to someone like Osama bin Laden in our times. Before he met Jesus, Paul's identity was tied up uh, in his heritage and his credentials as a Jew. In the letter to the Philippians, he says that he used to put all of his confidence in, his, in this identity as a Jew. In his own words, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. Paul's life, though, came crashing down while he was, one, while he was on one of these journeys trying to arrest uh, some followers of Jesus. While walking on the road that goes uh, to Damascus in Syria, Paul was at suddenly thrown to the ground and uh, he was blinded by this brilliant light uh, that came down from the sky and then he heard a voice that spoke to him and asked him, why are you persecuting me? In response, Paul uh, Paul asked the question, who are you that I'm persecuting? And the answer came back loud and clear, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Obviously, this would have been a massive shock for Paul. He was blinded and he couldn't speak. Luke tells us that uh, 
that after this he couldn't eat or drink for three days. So this must have been a real crisis moment for Paul. Everything he was, everything he had believed, everything that he put his hope and trust in, all came tumbling down around him. His whole identity on which his life was built crumbled after hearing seven words. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. After his encounter with Jesus, Paul was then taken on to Damascus. Obviously, they weren't that far away. And there, a very brave follower of Jesus, probably the bravest person uh, in the whole Bible, named Ananias, was told to go and actually pray for Paul so that he would receive his sight back and so that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive instructions for the special work that God had intended for him to do. Ananias did what he was told and Paul's eyes were opened so that he could see again. And after this, we're told that he got up, uh, he was baptised and then he began to eat and drink again. You would think that after such an experience, you'd want to go away and hide for a while. I probably would or I'd want to go and take a vacation or something like that. But no, what does Paul do? After a few days, we hear Paul begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God in the synagogues there in Damascus. Paul was totally transformed on that day when he encountered Jesus. And then he, and he goes on to become a, a great servant of God, a witness for Jesus or of Jesus and the good news to the ends of the earth and also a major contributor of books and letters in the New Testament that actually shape our understanding of Jesus and contribute to our understanding of the mission of God in the world today. There are three key messages that Paul brought to the early church which energised them in their faith and enabled them to be witnesses and participants in God's mission to the ends of the earth. And I think we can learn from these three three key messages today. The first one is that Jesus offers to give us a new identity and not just change our behaviour. One of the key messages that Paul teaches is that Jesus calls us into a relationship with him when we enter And when we enter this relationship, he gives us a new identity. Everything we are and actually do stems from this relationship and identity that we gain by being in relationship with Jesus. God is not interested in just changing uh, people's behaviour so that they conform to some sort of set of standards. God wants a relationship with us And he seeks to change us at our core, change us from the inside out. Paul uses the term uh, in Christ to describe the new identity that we receive when God, that we receive from God when we put our trust in him. Being in Christ is is not just about following Jesus, uh, Jesus' teachings as he would the teachings of a guru or the teachings of, uh, of uh, a particular philosophy or even a horoscope. What Paul means by being in Christ is that we become deeply connected to Jesus in a similar way that a branch is actually connected to a vine. We're so connected to him that Jesus treats us as he does Jesus. 
and we get all the benefits that Jesus gets, including God calling us his children and treating us as such. C.S. Lewis uh, says in his book, Mere Christianity, that if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. And if you want joy, power, peace and eternal life, you must get close or even into the thing that has them. The Bible tells us that Jesus has them in bucket loads and he offers them to us. But observing Jesus from a distance or just reading about his teachings are not enough for transformation. Jesus actually calls us into relationship with himself and into a new identity as children of God. To get this identity, we need to invite Jesus in. And when we do this, he promises that he'll fill us with his spirit and show us who we truly are. This is what Nathan spoke about in his testimony earlier. It's also what happened to Paul. And it's also what can happen to anyone or each one of us as we invite Jesus into our lives. It is for this very reason that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if, anyone's in, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Paul gets really excited about our identity in Christ because he sees that it is by understanding our new identity that leads us into transformation. It is this identity that gives us the confidence and the power to live life without fear. But instead of that, having expectancy and hope. As adopted children of God, we know then that we're deeply loved and that we're included in God's family. And we're actually brought near to God, into God's household, and we're actually made heirs of everything that is promised to Jesus. It is this knowledge, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that actually enabled Paul to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And it will also be the same for each one of us as well when we claim our spot in God's family. One of the lies of the evil one is to make us doubt our true identity as children of God. In the uh, futuristic film, The Matrix, uh, that stars Keanu Reeves, he uh, plays a character named Thomas Anderson, who is this computer hacker and uh, who goes by the alias of Neo. Anyway, Thomas Anderson is introduced to The Matrix, which is this hidden world controlled by computers. And uh, Morpheus uh, tries to convince Thomas Anderson that, uh, that he is the one, the one who can lead them to defeat these dark forces that control and manipulate the matrix. But Thomas Anderson spends the entire movie, the, the entire movie denying that he is the one. He's full of doubt about his true identity. And his enemies exploit this doubt and uh, they exploit this as a weakness. And because of this uh, doubt, he, it weakens his ability to, to lead the team and go on to destroy the matrix. 
But finally, towards the end of the movie, when Thomas Anderson is, uh, is about to die in this uh, fight with Agent Smith, one of the Matrix uh, sort of crony agents, Agent Smith's there and he says to uh, Thomas Anderson, just as he's about to die, he says, goodbye, Mr. Anderson. And uh, Thomas Anderson replies, my name is Neo. And uh, this is the first time that he actually refers to himself by this name in the whole movie. But when he finally owns up to his true identity as Neo, he's then able to go on and overcome this agent and the other agents, the other cronies, and free the rest of humanity from the matrix. To live in freedom, to live in hope and joy that Christ intends us to experience, and to be able to be witnesses in our neighbourhoods and to the ends of the earth, we need, to, we need to actually embrace our true identity as being children of God. Paul's second key message is that Christ came for all humanity. The message that Jesus came uh, for all humanity might seem a a bit obvious to us or a little bit ho-hum as we sit here 2,000 years on from from when this message was first uh, spoken. But the idea that God was sending Jesus for all people was quite a radical uh, concept for the New Testament church to grapple with. The Jews who... Uh, who spoke? Uh, who Jesus first spoke to, found the idea of God being interested in, in all humanity quite intolerable. It was unpalatable to them. Even at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus stood up in the synagogue there in Nazareth, his hometown, and uh, he read from the book of Isaiah uh, about the work that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would do. And then at the end of the reading, he actually identifies himself as the Messiah, saying that this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence today. No one gets upset at that point in his message. In fact, they love hearing this idea that Isaiah's prophecy is going to be fulfilled on that day in their hometown. Imagine that. Bring it on, they say. They even start to talk, about, talk with each other about how wonderful Jesus is speaking that day, slapping each other on the back. But then Jesus doesn't actually just end his message there. He continues on uh, and he then says that previously God had sent prophets like Elijah and Elisha with help from God. But he actually didn't send the, the help. He didn't send these prophets to help people in Israel. Elijah wasn't sent to help the widow, uh, the widow, any widow in Israel, he said, during a famine. He was actually sent to a non-Jewish widow in Sidon. Also, there were many lepers in Israel at that time, in the time of Elisha, but God didn't send Elisha to any of those lepers. He sent instead Elisha to a Syrian army officer. Syrians were actually the enemies of Israel, a Syrian army officer named Naaman, and he healed him. And so when the people in Nazareth heard Jesus say this, it really ticked them off because they thought that God and his blessings were just for them. They had misunderstood the message of Scripture. In fact, all of Scripture 
In all of Scripture, we can see that God has a desire for the nations, and it's a consistent message both in the Old and the New Testament. God has always been interested in the nations. God has always had a global vision. The early church also struggled to understand the global scope of God's mission. In the book of Acts, Peter first begins to understand that Jesus is not for just for Jews, Uh, after Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and his household actually received the Holy Spirit. It's a real aha moment. But it is actually Paul who really takes this understanding that Jesus is for all humanity and he actually acts upon it and goes out and shares the good news to the ends of the earth with non-Jews. When Jesus revealed himself to Paul... He also called him to be his servant and called him to be a witness to the Gentiles in Acts 9.15. Through Ananias, Jesus says to Paul, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Prior to his encounter with Jesus, this idea would have been completely alien and offensive to Paul. But it's another sign of of the radical nature of the transformation that Paul encountered through Jesus. Paul, who had seen himself as a true Israelite due to his biological and religious heritage and because of the current practices that he was involved in 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 trying to purify the religion, he accepted this call to go and share God's mercy and God's grace with people who he had considered who were his enemies and who he had considered previously to be unacceptable to God. Paul came to a new understanding of God's global vision for humanity and the role of God's people in God's mission. This is why uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19 to 21, Paul says, I'm a free man. I'm nobody's slave, but I make myself everybody's slave in order to win as many as possible. While working with the Jews, I live like a Jew in order to win the Jews. In the same way, when working with Gentiles, I live like a Gentile outside the Jewish law in order to win Gentiles. Today, thousands of, thousands of ethnic groups or ethnic communities, hundreds of millions of people who have, have not had the opportunity to hear anything about what God, has, what God has done through Jesus. Many of these people are Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and they live in Southeast Asia, in Asia and the Middle East, and they desperately need people who will be witnesses to them in the same way that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. But there are also many people from these actual communities living today in Australia from these religious groups and these ethnic communities. They're actually living here in Melbourne, in the suburbs around where we live, maybe even in your street. A lot of these people have also never had the opportunity to hear the message of Jesus clearly because no one has connected with them or taken the time or had the patience or had the energy to to share it with them and do so in in a way that they could understand. Paul says that he has done everything possible, everything he possibly could to position himself 
to be able to build a relationship with people from other religious and groups and other ethnic communities so that they might have the opportunity so that he might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. This is what, uh, this is what Ian and uh, Vivian Dennis are doing with seafarers uh, down at the Port of Melbourne with, with, uh, with sailors from all around the world. And we heard some of those uh, lovely stories this morning about people who uh, were encountering Christ through their ministry, people from some of these least-reached communities. This is also the work that other, other mission organisations are doing. Australian Baptists, uh, through Global Interaction, are working with a number of least-reached communities around the world today. And they're committed to engaging with least-reached communities, sharing the good news with them so that they can develop their own distinctive way of following Jesus, not actually uh, take on our cultural uh, way of worshipping, but actually worship God in their own language and uh, in appropriate ways within their own community. To do this is not easy work. To do it down in the port of Melbourne, to do this in a country uh, in, uh, outside of Australia is not easy. It demands a commitment to learn people's languages and to learn about their culture, a commitment also to live closely with people who are often very poor, seeking to share life with them so that you can have opportunities to share with them about the hope that you have in Jesus. Jesus came for all humanity and he calls us to be witnesses of the good news to all humanity to the ends of the earth. For many of us in our church, we can, uh, I want to encourage us to begin praying and considering how we can cross the street and meet our neighbours who are culturally different to us and begin the process of, of sharing life with them, serving them, loving them, praying for opportunities to share the hope that you have in Jesus with them. For others here this morning, it's my belief and my hope that God has other plans for people in our community of sending you further afield to be witnesses. And I want to encourage all of us to be open and willing to go where and when God calls us to go. The third key message of Paul this morning is that the gospel changes everything. Today, it's easy to get the impression that the good news uh, of Jesus is just a message about having an individual experience with God or that it's primarily just about uh, getting out of hell and into heaven when you die. But the good news uh, is that through Jesus, God is changing everything. God's plan uh, is not just for individual lives, but it's also for families. It's also to reconcile relationships. It's also to heal societies. It's also to, uh, to reinvigorate the environment so that it can be changed and healed. The good news isn't just a verbal message. It is the good news of the kingdom of God. It's, it's about the rule and the reign of Jesus, changing things, changing the earth as it is in heaven. It's a holistic and it's a tangible thing. something we can experience. This was Jesus' understanding of the good news that he proclaimed and practised. Jesus uh, articulates his holistic understanding uh, of the good news in Luke 4, 
18 and 19, when he says that there will be tangible outcomes to his rule and to his reign. It will give people hope. Uh, It will release people who are bound by all sorts of different issues and fears. Uh, People who are held captive by habits and addictions, by principalities and powers. Paul also understood the good news uh, to be holistic as well. A key term that Paul uses to talk about, uh, to, to talk about um, the impact of the good news in people's lives is this word transformation. Uh, in Romans 12.2, Paul says to the Romans, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The transformation that Paul has in mind is much more than just uh, behavioural change or even even, uh, improved human morality. It's a holistic change at the core of a person's being which will impact the way we see the world and the way we actually operate in it. The gospel not only impacts uh, us and how how we live our life and live in this world, It also impacts the way we view others and the way we treat others and the way we care for others. We heard this in Nathan's testimony and we heard it in Paul's testimony. We also can see it in those pictures of what Ian and Vivian Dennis are doing because they've encountered Jesus. It's reorientated them to Jesus' priorities. The sociologist Rodney Stark in his book The Rise of Christianity says that there there were a number of factors that led to the growth of the early church from being 120 believers at the time of the crucifixion to 33 million people 350 years later. He says that the church grew because Jesus was an attractive figure, yes, and because people shared their faith in Christ with others. But then he goes on to say very convincingly, that that one of the main reasons that Christianity grew so significantly, so so exponentially, really, at that time, was because of Christians Christians' ethics of sacrificial love and because of their concern for the poor and the needy and because they valued women and they valued children more highly than the people around them in the Roman Empire. Their lives were transformed by this encounter with Jesus. It was transformed lives of the Christians seeking the transformation of other people that spoke loudly and clearly to who Jesus is and what he can do in people's lives. In the year 165 AD, an epidemic believed to be smallpox actually ravaged the Roman Empire and lasted for about 15 years. Can you imagine? We're only sort of two months into the this, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, this ravaged the, their whole area for 15 years and it probably killed between one quarter of a million to a th- one quarter to a third of the population. Not a million, one quarter to a third of the population. Christians, though, they didn't escape the ravages of this epidemic. They didn't experience some sort of Passover experience where the angel of death passed over them and, uh, and just let them live and, and everyone else died. Christians suffered greatly, but they actually had a better survival rate than the pagans at that time because of the selfless care and concern that they showed for one another. They cared for each other. 
but they also showed care and concern for the pagans that lived around them. Christians in these epidemics stayed and engaged and cared for the sick while the pagans fled at the first sight of it. Wow, what a challenge. Stark also says that Christians uh, were involved in transforming society. The gospel was transforming society by, by uh, them no longer condoning uh, female infanticide or, even, or infanticide of any type for that matter. They also raised uh, the age when a, when a Christian girl would be able to be married to fifth, for between 15 and 18 years when previously, or amongst pagans, um, they were often marrying girls uh, who were as young as 12 years of age. Also, the status of Christian women was, much, was actually elevated. It was higher than pagan women in their families and in their societies, in their, in their communities. Women uh, could become deacons of the church. Christian women were also not pressured to remarry after the death of their spouse. And they were actually honoured in their widowhood. And this was all in contrast with pagan women uh, who, whose inheritance from their late husband's estate would actually be passed on to their new pagan husband and they often were left destitute and without any help. These are just a few ways that the people in the early church were transformed by their encounter with Jesus and the good news. And this went on to have this salt and light transforming impact on the communities in which they lived. And people through this were able to encounter Jesus and begin to follow him. Many of these ethics, or many of the ethics and advantages that we actually take for granted today are as a result of uh, of people's lives being transformed by Jesus. But the main point that I'm trying to make here is that the gospel changes everything and we as followers of Jesus need to live out this good news in front of our neighbours so that they can also experience the good news of Jesus in tangible ways themselves. And so they can also ask us, why do you love so people? Why do you love so widely? Why do you care so deeply? And then we'll be able to give them an answer because of the hope that we have within us in Jesus. What would it be like if our neighbours, the people in our suburbs, witnessed the radical transformation that Jesus is doing in our lives? Well, imagine if they could see that, experience that, just like the people in Paul's day witnessed what God had done in him and the people in those first 350 years of the church experienced the selfless acts of Christians caring for the sick, working for justice and for fair treatment of women and children. As I mentioned last week, we are, witness, we are witnesses to the transformation that God is, is doing in us when we give our time and our money to care for the poor and the marginalised in our community. And also uh, in the way that we're developing a a very multicultural community and congregation here at Mooney Ponds. But I think that these are just the beginning of what God wants to be doing in and through us here in this church, in our suburbs and to the ends of the earth. 
This week, people from this church have, have actually, some people have handed me some money so that I could give it to people in need, which I've done. Uh, other people have rung me this week asking if I know of people who are suffering at this time who they can help. These, for me, are all signs of our ongoing transformation, showing that Christ is at work in us. These are beautiful things. They're tangible things. They speak to the glory of God. We need to be seeking the Lord's guidance in the days ahead on ways that we can, on ways that we can actually be at the forefront of bringing Christ's love, hope, care and transformation to people in the neighbourhoods in which we live and as far as the ends of the earth. I don't know actually what these areas are at this point, but I do believe that, that we are actually to be leading and leaders in our community seeking the transformation that brings peace, freedom, joy and hope, reconciliation, redemption of people, the care of our society and even the care of our environment. We need to be at the forefront of these things, my friends. Let us seek to live out our transformed lives in Christ in the front of people so that we can bring glory to God. Let's pray together. Oh, loving Father, we want to thank you for the new identity that you give us in Christ and that that who we are in this world, the peace and freedom and joy and hope and the ability to go to the ends of the earth and to do all the things you want us to do flow from that. What a rich inheritance you give us because of our relationship with Jesus and with you. Lord, help us to act out. Help, help us to understand that identity. Help us to grasp it, to really grasp it deeply and to, to live it. Help us to see that you came for all of humanity and that you want us to be involved in taking your gospel to the ends of the earth so that it transforms us and the people we engage with. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.